Hi there, listeners. It's Farnoosh. And I just want to say I'm really honored that you've chosen to subscribe to So Money. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there. The fact that you're here is not lost on me. Now, if you're enjoying these episodes and you're benefiting from the advice and you want more, I've actually created something really special for us. It's called the So Money Members Club. It's an online platform where you can connect more closely with me and engage with fellow So Money fans who want to become more empowered in their financial lives. The website is So Money members.com. And when you go there, you'll learn all the benefits, including exclusive monthly finance workshops, private group calls with me. You get your questions answered in our member community. I'm often in there weighing in, and you get instant access to all of our workshop recordings. We have a robust library that's growing so far. We've had workshops on investing in real estate, kids and money, and how to earn more in 2024. And most of all, it's fun, positive, encouraging, all the things personal finance should be. Go to somoneymembers.com and I hope you'll join us. I'm limiting enrollment and doors will close soon. Check out somoneymembers.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hosting the So Money Podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money Members Club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with Tap to Pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So many episode 1619, how to make more money by asking like an auctioneer with communication coach Dia Bondi. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. If you're going to ask like an auctioneer, that means that every ask you design for yourself in your career, in your business, in your life is going to, when it's critical, is going to ask the question, what might beg a rejection? So that you don't artificially and single-handedly accidentally lowball yourself. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. One of our top goals this year and kind of every year is to make more money. Why not? 
I'm actually going to host a pop-up workshop in February on how to make more, whether you're in a nine to five or you run your own company. I've got strategies. I've been in both worlds and I know what it takes to negotiate, earn your value and make that money. Thematic to that, our guest today is communications coach Dia Bondi, who is the author of a new book called Ask Like an Auctioneer. In the book, she outlines a framework that will help us strategically and confidently ask for more. Dia is not your ordinary communications coach. She's been working with senior leaders and venture-backed founders, helping them refine their voices and amplify their impact. And her story took a fascinating turn a few years ago when she attended an auctioneering school, not for a career shift, but just for fun. And little did she know, this was the experience that's going to open up a whole new chapter in her life and change others' lives as well. Dia began using her auctioneering skills to fundraise for women-led nonprofits, and she realized that auctioneering holds valuable lessons on asking for more and importantly, getting it. So today we're going to talk about her strategies, her framework, why a no is actually a yes. Here's Dia Bondi. Dia Bondi, welcome to So Money and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I am so excited to be sitting down with you. You know, I surveyed the So Money audience in towards the end of last year, asking them, what do they want to learn more about in the new year? Earning more money is definitely one of the top two. Number one is investing. What a treat. We get to sit down with you, Dia Bondi. You're a communications catalyst and you have been a coach for two decades. You've worked and currently work with CEOs, VC-backed founders, innovators, and creatives to speak powerfully and elevate their impact. And a new way you're helping people make an impact is this concept of asking like an auctioneer. Uh, I love this because this is sort of like, it was a hobby turned new mission. <laughs> As my, you know, my, my stint in stand-up comedy turned into a book, your stint with uh, auctioneering has turned into teaching people how to show up better at work in the workplace to ask for what they want. What steered you to this area of the world, like auctioneering? Like, what was it about that? that and, uh, what did you do exactly that trained you? So I, yes, leadership communications coach for many, many years. And I took sort of like a working sabbatical. And during that time, my husband sort of reminded me of a threat that I'd made at a dinner table years and years before, after I had been invited to be the fundraising auctioneer for my children's preschool fundraiser. I had said years before, like, you know what I would really do? We were doing bucket list stuff, bucket list stuff, you know, at a dinner table. And I was like, I would actually learn how to do that for reals. And during my sabbatical years and years later, my husband was like, you're looking for something weird to do. Maybe it's time to do that. And so I got on an airplane and I went to a thing called auctioneering school that exists. (laughs) So I live in California, but I went to Missouri and I went to an auctioneering school for 10 days and it was me and a hundred cowboys learning how to auctioneer just about, you know, anything you can imagine. And I wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to be auctioneering livestock at the local county fair, but I was like, okay, I got this, I did this little adventure. What am I going to do with it? And coming back to the Bay Area, I decided I would use it as an impact hobby and start doing fundraising auctioneering as an impact hobby for women-led nonprofits and nonprofits benefiting women and girls you know, slammed up against all of my communications work. And 20 auctions into it, I was like, oh my gosh, what I'm learning would be so useful for the folks that I, you know, encounter in my everyday career in communications. Because that's storytelling. What's on the other side of the most of the stories we tell in business, it's usually an ask. 
for mm-hmm. headcount, engagement, investment, budget, arrays, you know, opportunities to run big projects, et cetera. So I launched Project Ask Like on, on an auctioneer. Now it's a book. It's out now. It came out in November. So tell us a little bit about the connection between the ask and the performance, the work that goes into auctioneering. So ask like an auctioneer is really just a framework for thinking about how to design and what to go for when you make an ask. So in when when we are auctioneering, let's imagine I'm auctioneering a, a piece of art at a at a fundraiser. If I well, to go back, when folks come to me, they in my communications work, it's usually because they have a really critical piece of com- a communications moment coming up. And at the end of the story, like I mentioned, there usually is some sort of an ask or a call to action. You know, it's like, what are you what are you trying? You're telling a story for a reason to get something, right, that you need or want. And um, most of the time when I ask, what is it that you're asking for? And then how much of that thing are you asking for? The answer I get back is, well, I don't know, Dia, how much do you think I can get? And for a long time, I was like, great question. And we'd sort of design for what we thought they could get. They'd go ask for it. They'd get it. And we thought we were awesome. When I started auctioneering and sort of, it's less about the work of auctioneering and more about how you think about what's good and bad in an ask. So when I started ask auctioneering, I realized that that is not what we do. We do not ask the question, what do I think I can, can get? We ask in order to get a no. Then we get the no, and then we settle for the number or the amount just beneath that. Oh. Which means instead of designing an ask to get a yes, we're actually asking in order to get a no. In our world, no is a really good piece of news. No lets us know we can sell the item. No is not a bad word. No lets us know we've maximized the potential of an ask. In our careers and and entrepreneurship, we don't do that. We head for a yes, we get the yes, and we inevitably leave money on the table because there's a gap between what we can get an instant yes to, probably what we would have gotten a no to, and then negotiate it down. Is the trick... Hearing a no and realizing it's not a dead end, that the no is actually a no, not this price, no, not yet, no, not right now. And so that takes a little bit of uh, reading the room. I mean, how do you know if someone's like actually fronting you with a dead end or they're they're leaving the, d- the, the door open? Well, so the, the truth is that very often when we design an ask headed toward a no, more often than not, I hear people saying, I thought they were going to say no, and they said yes, <laughs> which is what I want every woman on the planet to do. I want them oh. to ask in a way, in such a way they think they're going to get a no and then get surprised because what will, and that is how we actually ask for more and get it. We challenge our assumptions about what's possible. We go for that no, and a lot of times we're like, oh my goodness. I thought there was I was going to get a no and I got a yes. What else have I been leaving on the table over the years? Because mm. I assumed if I asked for too much, I'd get absolutely nothing at all. So that's one piece of the idea. The other, to answer your question, you know, a no can be exactly that. It's not that, how about this? It's I can't do that, but I have a different idea for you. You know, there's a chapter in my book, Ask Like an Auctioneer, where I talk about other things can happen when you ask and get a no. You might run up and get that no, and sometimes it will be a hard no. 
And you're going to find out because you're going to send that proposal and they're going to ghost you or that you're going to send that proposal and they're going to say no, or you're going to ask your boss for that raise or the opportunity to run that high profile project or, you know, um, more incentives if you're in a sales role, et cetera. And you're, you're going to get met with a yes that never materializes. You get to take that as a no. So the reading of the room actually happens sometimes after the ask, not necessarily before it. Can you give us a really vivid example of maybe it was a client who went in and and got the no initially and then tell us what happened next where it was a happy ending. Um, I think this is really making sense, but I think it would be so helpful to just hear the example and also in that example, how the person decided and knew what to ask for to get the right kind of no if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. so that she could or he could then like keep the conversation going. There's sort of an assumption that a no is really always super clear. And I just want to say that it isn't always super clear. You know, the, the, so there's a little tangent for you. You know, I talk to a lot of women and audience people and Project Ask Like an Auctioneer, which I launched a few years ago before I, before I wrote the book, just as a, you know, as a workshop. And, um, you know, it is just as hard sometimes for us to say no as it is for us to, to make an ask. Mm-hmm. I was talking mm-hmm. to a woman recently who's just had to say no to an offer. And it was she was coming out of her skin trying to figure out how to say no. So the assumption that people are just ready to just reject you is sort of false, you know? When we make the kinds of asks that force people to say no, it can it puts pressure on the relationship. So no's don't always come at you like a big bullet, you know, bullet to your face. They come to you through people ignoring you or through lots of other ways. So I just want to put that out there. Sure. So one example um, I can think of, I love this question of what people, how do I know what to ask for? Um, so one example is, and, and this is a happy ending, but she didn't get what she asked for. So I'll just give you the punchline there. So um, my friend Jane, she runs a nonprofit. She needed to make her nonprofit more sustainable, okay, so she could leave her full-time job and get into um, running her nonprofit as her as her full-time job, her full-time role. And in order to do that, she needed to bring more revenue into the business. So she knew she was going to go make an ask around sponsorships for these cohorts she was running around providing world-class uh, world class uh, executive coaching for um, young women leaders in social impact, okay? So she called me and she said, hey, can you help me with my pitch? Communications work. So we looked at her story and I was like, great. How's it? What are you going to ask for? And she told me after she first had responded to me with a little bit of like, oh, Dia, what do you think I can get? I was like, that's not, we're not doing that. What do you actually need? And then what is the bigger version of that you think might threaten a no? She got a, she got a number. I don't know what it was. It was 37,000 or 25,000 or something per cohort, which felt like a big number to her. Right. And she was like, oh, she went in and, and made the ask. I got a, I called her a, a week later and I said, how'd it go? She said, they said, no. I said, what did they end up saying yes to? She said nothing at all. Oh. They couldn't have said yes at a, at thirty seven thousand. They couldn't. She couldn't have. They couldn't have said yes at thirty grand or twenty five or twenty or fifteen or five dollars. She said, but it was great, Dia, because in making the ask, I realized that we've been asking the wrong people. 
Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so in that way, when she was in conversation with them saying, we can't do that, what she realized is that her ask had forced them to recognize that they didn't, as an organization, have a giving strategy around this kind of program. Okay. So she and her team got real smart. Three years later, she's left, you know, she's left her full-time role and she's running as executive director. In fact, she just assigned another person to her executive director. Now she's a chairman of the board. But point being, it's a happy ending for her because they, the asking made her smart about who she needed to be asking, not just what she needed to be asking for. That's a great story. And we recently did an episode on childcare. Uh, the, the child care gap in the workplace and how it's affecting workers and many women caregivers are leaving the workforce as so many women are at the forefront of caregiving and working. And so just a continuation of what we kind of saw in the pandemic. Of course, more women are back in the workforce, but companies are slow still to adopting the right kinds of family leave policies and flex work policies and support benefits for families. And in this conversation, it was actually with the co-CEO of The Skim, Danielle Weisberg, she and her whole her whole team have put together this campaign with like worksheets and what to say and how to ask and you know basically how to go to your employer and ask for this very big important benefit of supporting you as a caregiver so that you could have this so you can function better at work it's like it it helps their bottom line to be able to retain you if you can like also tend to your responsibilities at home and so what i'm hearing from you is sometimes that when you get the no the dead end is not that there isn't the money necessarily, but there isn't even an infrastructure for what you're asking. There isn't a team or a, a department or a resource. Or so, straight up, there's just no budget. I mean, that is yeah. a real thing. And then we get to decide what we want to do with that information. Right. Do we stay? Do we go? Do we try to, within the organization, be entrepreneurial and create that? So the, your book is not just about how to get the money, right? Tell us a little bit about how the, the art of auctioneering can support you in all the different asks that you may have in the workplace. Look, if you're going to ask like an auctioneer, that means that every ask you design for yourself in your career, in your business, in your life is going to, when it's critical, is going to ask the question, what might beg a rejection so that you mm -hmm. don't artificially and single-handedly accidentally lowball yourself. That's what it means to ask like an auctioneer. And you can apply it to anything. But I recognize after talking to so many folks in my workshops that there's actually four sort of ask types. And I recognize that you asked the question about how do we know what to ask for? Maybe this is a place where we can talk about that too. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes so you can see new homes first, and they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin 
Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution, more knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy. You want a bra that's comfortable. You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. The weather's getting warmer as I record. It's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast. So finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees. And I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul. And you know, I don't want to spend a fortune. So luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karakol jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince, my very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on Quince.com. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash so money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. So money is, yes, you know, we need to be asking for more money so then we can listen to your podcast and figure out what to do with it when we invest with it. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we need to, we need to resource ourselves with dollars and cents, whether it's investment or, you know, a salary ask or more shares or whatever the thing is. But the other three I've seen that emerge are the kinds of asks that help us grow our influence, which is not about being an influencer. It's about 
the kinds of asks we can make that help us penetrate networks that we don't already have, uh, we don't have uh, relationships with or access to. You know, it's about raising your visibility in your domain or in your workplace. You're a young professional. What ask might you make that gets you in front of more um, leaders in the organization that can then uh, transition into relationships and mentorship? Is this year, is this the year where you might speak at your all hands for the very first time? You know, like these, these kinds of asks that, asks that help grow our influence in the world. The third one is about authority. What kind of asks might you make that grow your authority in a particular direction tied to the goals that you have for yourself? I was doing an in-home book salon for Ask Like an Auctioneer a couple of weeks ago, and a woman said, you know, I, I realized that even as an executive, I hadn't really cleared the space for me to own a certain set of decisions. And I had to sit down with my CEO, she was in a startup, in my CEO and really make the ask to fully and wholeheartedly own a certain set of decisions that would help me be successful in my, what I was in my remit, in my role. Because mm-hmm. we, there was a little tug and go with like, did I really ha- own these decisions or did I not? So, so, and that can also be about whether you sign the checks or it can be, it can come in the form of that, that, um, promotion that you want. Or maybe it's about leaving your full-time role and going out on your own so you can author how every minute of your day goes. It depends on what goals you have. And then the fourth one is about balance, the kinds of asks we can make that bring more into balance who we are and the work that we're actually doing every Mm -hmm. day so we can work and live in a way that's very aligned to who we are. And about that, how much more to ask for so that you get the no and so that you're also not coming from like, it seems like you're like a a nutcase? Like, how could you be asking for all this, right? I mean, when it comes to money, I know I once got the, a really great piece of advice, especially for women, that you should always come up with the number that you want and then add 20%. Because one, a lot of times what we value our work at is uh, distorted. <laughs> it's not, yes. it, it's too low. We, we you know, uh, for whatever reason, host of reasons. Um, and because you want to leave room for negotiations, you go up that 20%. She didn't say 200% because I think that would also come across as really um, like you didn't do any homework or you're really just coming up with a random number. So give, give, tell us a little bit about that, like that sweet spot that gets so you to know but doesn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. that doesn't break things. Um, you know, and sometimes you want to break things. I mean, I'm I'm an independent. Folks who are listening, not everyone is in a salaried role. Some of us are in the world of you know solopreneurship, or you know the proposals that you write is super are super niche, and it's a very the conditions are just right for you to make the the hugest to add that two hundred percent. But not always. Now, I like to think of it like this. We're not shopping from our own wallets. You're right. They're distorted. And I get this question all the time, like, how do I know I'm not crazy? If I make that kind of ask, how do I know I'm not crazy? And my answer is, if you can explain it, you can ask for it. It mm-hmm. works as a, as a gut check. And for those f- folks who are listening who might be independent contractors or solopreneurs, you know, maybe the explanation is just simply, my rates are going up this year because I decided I yeah. don't do it for that rate anymore. Now, on the on the other side, one of the so when I started auctioneering and started realizing, like, oh my gosh, we always go for no. No's not so scary anymore. You know, I started mm-hmm. using this in my own work and my own business. And then I started to notice what are the things that I'm learning that help me go for the no? Because the no is scary. I, I do not underestimate how powerful a feeling that is to go for something knowing that you might be you might be confronting rejection intentionally. 
That's no joke. So I talk about nine different ideas from the world of auctioneering that that don't come from an auctioneering school. They just came from the stage that I learned to help you just push you over the edge to make that bigger ask that feels scary, that lets you do it, that just unlocks you a little bit. And one of them I love so much that I landed on years ago, which is price is a measure of value, not worth, which is to say, well, I want you to get paid what you're worth in whatever format that shows up for you. I want to not conflate worth and what people, how people respond to the asks that you make because it loads up every answer you get with so much meaning. It's, it's, it tempts us to play safe over and over again. Because mm-hmm. if it means I'm not worth or worthy something of something, a no is just too loaded. So what I saw as I was auctioneering over and over again, whether I'm selling a vase or a vacation or an exclusive night, you know, to see the 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 Warriors or you know a, a, a signed jersey by your favorite athlete, that price is a measure price or what somebody will pay or do for you or in that moment is a measure of what they value and how they value it, not a comment on our worth and worthiness. So sometimes sort of holding on to that idea gives us the freedom to ask for more and go for that rejection because we're not invited to internalize the answer we get. Yeah. It's not dating everybody. (laughs) Over a hundred percent over and over again. I have clients and nonprofits that I work with who are like, we want this piece of art to go for 10 grand. And I'm like, look, as long as you tell me what the reserve is, which is the minimum we can sell it for, I'm going to sell it for whatever somebody in the room f- finds value in it at. I sold a camping trip for $55,000 at auction a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and we doubled it. You know, If I had stopped at what I thought it was quote-unquote worth, it would have been way lower than that. At the same time, I sold a piece of art that was supposed to be quote-unquote worth ten grand for $4,500. So it's like we have to uncouple what people say yes to from worth and just use our curiosity and yeah. ask and find out. One of my friends, Lydia Finney, is a world-class auctioneer and she uh, has worked for Sotheby's and Christie's and now she works independently and she's written yeah, she a lot of books a, about... Yeah, she yeah. wrote a book, You're the Most Powerful Woman in the Room. Yeah, yeah. I have that. Yeah. Um, so she knows a lot about being on the, your stage presence and and how that can translate into just presence at work and in life. And I've been to, I've, I've witnessed her in action. I would love to get your thoughts on this. So yeah, to an extent, people will pay for what they value that camping trip at. But the auctioneer plays a huge role in, in sort of hyping you up and getting you really excited to not just pay for that, for that trip, but also get it Instead of the guy next to you across the, the you know the ballroom or the woman across the ballroom, like there's like a bit of competition too, that is in the room. How does that work in the real world? Do you see that being an element to the the awareness of your ask? So I think yeah, there's there is we're very rarely in a competitive bidding situation out in the world. That, like that's just not you know if you're someone who's got two employers competing for you know for your yes congratulations to you it's not so often if that happens a couple times in our lives it you know yay i don't it's not where i focus so much i want folks to just dis- whether there is competition in the market or not i want you to just ask the question what might i ask for how might i make my ask so big that it might get me a no 
so that we don't, again, artificially and preemptively lowball ourselves. So you have to kind of imagine, you know, the competition, I guess, but I don't, I don't talk directly about that so much because it's so, it's, it's rare that we're, that we're in that scenario. So we just have to imagine yeah. for ourselves, if I were going to go for no, what might I ask for? Now, your question also earlier about how do I know what to ask for? I, you know, in my workshops, people are like, oh, ask like an auctioneer. I want to do that. I want to ask like an auctioneer, but I don't have a negotiation moment coming up. What can I ask for? So I also love the idea that using asking as a success strategy and thinking about what we might know that we need to ask for. So when the opportunity arises, we have it on the tip of our tongues. So... Mm. um, so I have a six-step framework for it, but the first step is to really like think about, you know, it, it's not, there are moments where you know you have a negotiation coming up, but you have the opportunity to ask for things that aren't on the menu year in, every day of your career, business, and life. Yeah. Everywhere. That's important. Timing is important and not to say like time it to a specific date, but to your point, like every day you have timing. Totally. So for example, if you know your goal, so here's sort of the first, I'll give you the first couple of steps. If you know your goal and you want to figure out what you might ask for, before you start deciding that, I want you to ask yourself, like, what's the next big move I need to make in order to action my goal? Whether you have a financial goal in the world or you have a certain impact goal or, you know, for me, I wrote my first book this year, that this last year, and you know, I knew that was a goal years before. So, I, what is the what is the big move you need to make that gets you closer to your goal? And then to ask yourself, knowing I have that big move I need to make, there might be a few of them. What asks might I make of my community, of my friends, of my mentors and mentees, of people that I can get to know that help action that move that gets me closer to that goal? And then once you start making that inventory, then I'm going to have you say, okay, you've got your ask. How might you zofoify it? Which is to say, how might you make it the kind of ask that makes you freak out a little bit? It's the so zone big. of freaking out. Zofo. Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> how might you just does take that ask and pump it up big enough such that, again, we're not preemptively and accidentally lowballing ourselves because we do have a distorted view about what's possible. And when you hit that ceiling, when you get go out and you design to get a no and you might get a yes right off the bat, you know, you've left something on the table probably, but you've did, done better than if you'd headed for that yes right off the bat or you're going to get that no and you're going to have a conversation. It's no coincidence we are getting along. I mean, I think that your understanding of fear and my understanding of fear in this context is very aligned. So hmm. what I'm hearing basically from you is if you're not a little afraid, if you're not freaking out, <laughs> you're not on the right path, you're not doing it right, that fear can be actually a sign that you're warmer to the yes down the road. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I think of it as like the that little feeling you get in your stomach. And I describe it as like I swallowed a really cold penny and it's kind of stuck Ooh. right at, right in my rib cage, you know? Um, and some of us feel it maybe like up on our chest or the back of our neck or down in our bellies, but like everybody's got their recognizable Zofo feeling like, whoop, there it is. And, yep. you know, it can, it, we can frame it as like, we're, we're trespassing. We're doing something bad. How dare I, who do I think I am? Or we can go, Ooh, there's that feeling like that means I'm actually standing up for myself that I'm mm -hmm. sort of not being held hostage by my own 
understanding of what's possible, that I'm challenging those assumptions, that I'm standing up for my dreams for myself, that maybe I'm actually asking for more and maybe I'll get it. So not every moment is a Zofo moment, but there are those really wonderful ones when we tune in and reframe it, we can see it that we're being brave for ourselves. Hmm. Thank you so much, Dia Bondi. I've learned a lot in these minutes. Uh, first of all, I think mostly that a no is nothing to be afraid of. And in some ways you want to work diligently towards that no as you uh, attempt the ask, as you process the ask, because that's what can ultimately get you to the win. Who knew? Is this how all auctioneers perform? Is this like their best kept secret or what? I don't know. I mean, it's not, I have no idea, but it's, I'm so glad I got to do, pick up this impact hobby and I got to learn these ideas and I now get to share them with folks like you and your listeners to help them ask for more and get it. Whatever asks that they need to make that help them get them, get them closer to the goals that they have financial or otherwise. Thank you so much. And everybody, there are so many resources that Dia has created for us. There is the book. And if you go to asklikeanauctioneer.com, my goodness, like bonuses, resources. Um, thank you for putting all of this together for us and looking forward to having you back. Loved it. Thanks, Farnish. Thanks so much to Dia Bondi for joining us. Check out her book, Ask Like an Auctioneer. I've got links to all of her freebies as well in our show notes. I'll see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. You want a bra that's sexy. You want a bra that's comfortable. You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. Hosting the So Money Podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money Members Club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with Tap to Pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. 
Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.